Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Formula One podcast, Final Corner. My name is Maeve. I'm one of your hosts for this podcast, and I have with me my co-host, Rainier. We just finished watching yet another exciting GP in Saudi Arabia, and we've got a lot to cover with everything that happened over the course of this weekend. We're going to chat about some updates to the track before the race. We're going to give a quick recap on qualifying. We're going to add our thoughts on the race. We're going to give you an update on our F1 fantasy teams, and then we're going to preview everything you need to know before the next race. Thanks for joining us, and let's kick off today's episode. Jumping into the changes at the Jetta circuit, the track was first introduced last year and is the second fastest circuit that we have. The average speeds are around 252 kilometers per hour, which makes us a very high-speed layout, very thrilling uh, race to watch, but the drivers have been critical of the safety standards and lack of visibility around the track. So for some context, um, last year was the second-to-last race of the season, very tight race between Lewis and Max. Max actually went into the barriers during a hot lap in Q3, which gave Lewis the pull and Mercedes a 1-2 lockout. During the race, there was a yellow flag and two red flags with standing restarts. And so given the amount of collisions, they made some changes uh, to the track before the race this year. So the the biggest changes were really around um, opening up the sight lines so that there would be, you know, more visibility around different corners around the track. They also added a smooth face to the concrete barriers, which allows the drivers to brush up against it without, you know, getting any severe damage to the car or potentially crashing. And then the last big notable change that they made to the track was widening that final corner where Max Verstappen had crashed um, at the end of Q3 in 2021. Yeah, the FIA definitely made a lot of changes, but it it seems like the feedback from the drivers was that the improvements hadn't gone far enough. Before the weekend, Carlos Sainz emphasized that moving the wall didn't make the track safer simply because the driving line already hugs the wall, so they don't add... So it doesn't add anything really to the visibility. He mentions broadly that it shows that that the drivers need to have a better relationship with the FIA uh, because they expected Saudi the Saudi GP track to to make a step in the right direction and and they just didn't see that. After the drivers actually started driving on the track, they continued mentioning issues. Ricardo said that the style of curb curb used is too unforgiving, and Norris reiterated this, saying that the curb is way too aggressive when coupled with the F1 cars and their top speeds. Should we transition to qualifying? Yeah, we definitely need to talk about this because there's just so much going on. I have to start by giving some credit where credit is due. It was exceptional to watch Sergio Perez this weekend. Yes, I loved this. You have two Ferraris setting impeccable times. Verstappen does a lap. He's unable to beat his previous time. Normally, this would mean that the Ferraris are going to be on pole, but then all of a sudden, Perez comes out, beats Leclerc by just two hundredths of a second. And just for context on how wild this is, out of the 21 times Max and Perez have lined up over the last season, Max beat Perez 20 times. This is the first time Checo has ever sat on pole in 215 race starts. Like, that is insane. That's wild. Um, He said it himself after, you know, the interview, after setting the lap, you know, he was like, I could do a thousand more laps and it still wouldn't be this last lap that he did. Yeah, it's truly amazing. And and you get the sense that people were genuinely stoked for him. At at the end of qualifying, the camera pans over to Horner and, you know, his former world champion 
just put up a disappointing time. It's He's starting second row bet- behind the two Ferraris who just went 1-2 last weekend. But all you can see is the biggest smile on his face. There's really this recognition that Perez truly deserves this after such a long time. We should move on to a more sobering topic, mixed crash. Yeah, I mean, wow, this was absolutely terrifying. I know the cars are supposed to do this, but it's still shocking to see it completely disintegrate across the track the way that that it did. I looked into this, and this uh, it actually goes back to Daniel Ricciardo's complaint before the race. So the cause of the crash was Mick being slightly too wide on this curb, the curb that both Daniel and, and Norris were complaining about. So given how low the car is to the ground, it bottomed out on the curb. He loses contact with the ground, and the car just ends up spinning out and crashing into the wall there. Yeah, I mean, he crashed at 270 kilometers per hour, 168 miles miles an hour for our American fans. Um, And the force of the crash was 33 Gs, which is insane. Like, that's, yeah, a lot of impact. Um, You could tell it was a really serious crash because the FIA was not um, showing any instant replays from the crash. The team said the crash meant they had no contact with the car whatsoever, so it must have also been a, a really few scary moments for the team as well. Yeah, huge shout-out to the medical staff that was on site so quickly. They airlifted him to a hospital to do some precautionary scans. Appeared to be no issues, so he's totally fine, thankfully. Uh, in the end, the team decided it was better not for him for him to not race on Saturday, and it it's not because of health reasons, but they just wanted uh, to preserve the car. Mick crashed here at the Saudi GP last year as well, so mm-hmm. they wanted to make sure that they'd be able to compete in Melbourne and not potentially lose another car this weekend. Yeah, I'm just I'm just happy to hear that he was completely unharmed. Same here. Okay, I'm just gonna say it. What happened to Lewis Hamilton? Yeah, I mean, I think this starts with an all-around weaker Mercedes car that they're seeing this year. Russell ended up finishing P6 in qualifying, which obviously isn't great and not up to Mercedes's high standards. But it's also a long way from where Lewis was, which is not even making it out of Q1 at all. So from what I from what I can gather, Mercedes made quite aggressive changes to the car in the hopes of really improving it this weekend. And they did it to Lewis's car specifically. But all of these changes ended up giving him no grip in the rear tires, making it practically undrivable during qualifying. And you could tell that Toto's feeling the heat as well. He called the start of the season totally unacceptable for Mercedes. Okay, well, transitioning to Sunday, Hamilton and Mercedes were not the only ones facing issues. At least Hamilton managed to finish the race. We had four other cars with DNF uh, due to car reliability issues. So let's go talk about what's going on with these teams. Yeah, I was actually talking about this with a with a friend on Sunday. You know, the last few years were sort of the end of of the last era, and I think you saw teams continue to have a lot of reliability because they've had multiple years to refine the car performance. And at the end of the day, this is a it's a new car, it's a new car design, and so it's just going to take some time for the for the constructors to get up to speed and iron out some some of these reliability issues. So it seems like a lot, but it's following a major design change and this is really what we should have been expecting yeah i I totally agree and that might be something we continue to see over the first you know half even of of this season Mm -hmm. let's jump in with someone who didn't even get to start the race yuki sonoda and alfatari so he actually was unable to do a flying lap during qualifying and was knocked out during q1 
And then on his way to the grid on Sunday, he stopped and said he lost uh, complete engine power. So the team mentioned a water system issue during Q1 and then kind of broadly described a drivetrain problem that caused the stoppage during the race. They really haven't provided any detailed description of the issue, but it's definitely not a good sign given they have yet to have a race where both drivers finish. Yeah, I mean, this is the the fourth Red Bull power unit that's that's out within two races. Um, so totally agree. And then we also had three cars drop out within a lap of each other, the first being Alonzo. Yeah, it was such a bummer to see him retire because he had been battling it out all race with Ocon and then Kevin Magnussen. He was getting a lot of airtime. Selfishly, he is on my fantasy team, so I did not want to see him drop out. But what went wrong for Alpine? Yeah, interestingly, Alonso actually took a new engine before this race because they spotted some issues after after Bahrain, but they haven't really been clear following the race what's causing the issue and, and what caused him to retire. Unfortunately, we don't have more details about Alonso and Alpine and what went wrong, but hopefully we should get more insight from the team before the next race coming up. So shortly after Alonso slowed down with his issues ricardo came on the radio and also stated that he had no drive he stopped short just of the pit lane um this was super unfortunate because he had moved from 14th to 9th place and was on track to score points for the team super big considering they did not have a good first race to the season um ricardo speculated that he lost um drive and it could be an issue with the drive shaft which is the part of the car that translates the mechanical effort produced by the engine and the power unit components into the drive for the rear wheels. So this is really a mechanical issue and not um, an engine or a power unit issue. But definitely a bummer McLaren couldn't get um, double points for this race. I'm hoping he's able to do better and turn it turn it back on for his home GP in Australia. Yeah, and at the same time that Ricardo is announcing this issue, the team was Alfa Romeo was re- retiring Botas with a cooling issue on his car, but he had successfully made it to the pits, unlike Alonso and Ricardo. Moving on from the reliability issues, let's talk about some exciting aspects of the race. I think we should start with pit strategy because this affected a number of drivers. Yeah, a ton going on here, and a lot of this came down to luck. I think we were all super heartbroken to see Perez pit, only to have a safety car come out in the, during the next lap of the race. It's what put the Ferraris ahead of Perez, even though he had that super impressive pole during qualifying. Similarly, you saw Lewis, who had you know maybe arguably a pretty smart pit strategy. He started on the hard tires, was hoping for a late safety car, which is a pretty good bet during the Saudi GP. Uh, he ended up getting the safety car. He got a virtual safety car, but unfortunately, the pit lane was closed. The the cars that we talked about breaking down earlier were were blocking the pit lane, and he couldn't take advantage of it. But besides the luck aspect, what I think I found super interesting was the Ferrari communications right around the time that Perez pitted. You could hear Leclerc on the radio loudly proclaiming that they should, you know, pit to overtake, pit to overtake. His engineers saying the exact same thing. Perez ends up pitting early, it seem, seemingly in response to this, and Ferrari stays out. So it really begs the question of whether or not Ferrari was trying to trick Red Bull into pitting right here. Yeah, you were definitely shouting um, at the TV during the race, saying that you thought this was a complete setup. I mean, it just it seemed so blatant. It's not hidden at all. There were, like I don't know why you would loudly announce your strategy over the radio ever. Uh, so you sort of get the sense that Ferrari is really goading Red Bull into this. And then again, though, if, 
if I think it's deception, I'm sure Red Bull probably has a better sense of it than I do. So maybe it was always Red Bull's plan to pit Perez early, and and this didn't change anything at all. I just thought it was a super interesting dynamic. Yeah, super unfortunate, as you said, this early pit stop caused Perez to lose his spot in the front and ultimately finish the race in P4. Yeah, disappointing, but it did set up that epic battle between Verstappen and Leclerc. Yeah, I totally agree. And this is where we saw those new regulations come into play again. The cars were able to follow follow each other much more closely than in previous seasons. Um, you know, previously you'd see cars pass one another and then just kind of move on. They'd be up the track. But now there's really an opportunity to pass back. You know, you have cars flipping spots, going back and forth. Um, and this was a bit of a repeat, actually, from Bahrain, where we had Leclerc letting Max pass going into the final corner so that Leclerc could get that DRS advantage for the long straight and repass into turn one. Um, I think eventually we saw Max, you know, have to have to do a bit of reflection, be like a bit more patient, take a step back from that aggressive driving and allowing Charles to retain the lead into the final straight, finally allowing Max to be the one to pass um, during DRS and, and really hold on to that place for good. Yeah, it was so incredibly fun to watch. We spent all last year with the with the Lewis and Max rivalry, but we're beginning to see kind of this Leclerc-Max rivalry instead. Leclerc. <laughs> Leclerc. Leclerc. Uh, Max rivalry. And I, I mean, I know this goes back to karting, and this has been a, a rivalry for a super long time, but... but we're talking about you know finishing P1 in Formula 1, and this is the best of the best, and it's, it's exciting to see these two continue to battle it out. Speaking of rivalry, how about that battle between Ocon and Alonso? Yeah, so fun. Two drivers in the exact same kit battling it out lap after lap. I know the announcers talked about this and, and really harped on it, but there were definitely some questions around whether or not this was good for the team in the long run, but... Yeah, I mean, part of me just doesn't care. I'm all about this type of showdown. I mean, I get that Botas did end up passing Ocon, and the battle definitely didn't help, slash totally is what led to that happening, but even Ocon was stoked to be part of that experience. Yeah, Otmar didn't seem to care when the announcers asked him about it. After the race, they said the drivers kept a, a good, safe distance, so... You know, it, it seemed to work out for everyone. It was it was definitely a little funny to watch Ocon need to give up position to his teammate after he cut the corner not once but twice. But ultimately, this is great racing, and this is why we all watch the sport. Should we move on to give a quick update on our F1 fantasy teams? Yeah, let's do it. Do you want to go first? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, there were definitely some reliability issues for my team that were not ideal, So I ended up having a pretty mediocre weekend. I scored 136 points. That's pretty tough there. Yeah, I I knew you were going to do better than me, which is so annoying. But, I mean, I did have negative points for both Daniel Ricciardo and Alonzo, which does not help. Um, I mean, ultimately, Kevin Magnuson, uh, Perez, Carlos Sainz, and, and Red Bull as a constructor all... Gave me some solid points, but the negative points, I mean, I, I cannot be having two drivers that don't finish race. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a tough weekend for me as well. Sonoda was out of the race, obviously. Schumacher as well. Norris, while finally putting up a little yeah, bit of a... Finally a, in the points. Yeah, finally in the points. A lot better of a race this weekend. Still not super solid, but I did, you know, Ferrari's a constructor. Obviously a very strong choice right now. And Verstappen winning the race helped me out a ton. So... 
a solid 156 points, another weekend where Rainier wins out. 20 points ahead of me? Mm-hmm. So you're 30 points ahead of me in total now, I think. Something like that. It's uh, going to keep climbing. Yeah. I have, I have a big gap to fill, but we're coming up to Ricardo's home race. I think he's going to score some major points, and I'm going to close that gap. Whatever you need to tell yourself. Speaking of Daniel Ricardo and his home race, on April 8th, after a week-long break, F1 is going to be heading into Danny Rick territory for the Australian GP. Rainier, can you give us a preview of the Melbourne Grand Prix circuit? Yeah, happy to do it. So this GP, the first GP here was held back in 1996. The circuit length is 5.3 kilometers, with the race occurring over 53 laps. There are 16 corners, two DRS zones, and the last race that was held here was in 2019. It was canceled for two years due to COVID and Australia's strict restrictions around COVID. But the lap record is still held by Michael Schumacher from way back when in 2004. Wow. That is a, that's a long time ago that the record would set. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell us what we can expect for that track? Yeah, so they, they've made a number of updates um, for what it's going to look like for this for what would be the 2021 GP. Um, but they essentially modified seven corners, removed two entirely. So ultimately, the changes are predicted to make lap times over five seconds quicker. Well, I guess there goes Michael Schumacher's record. Yeah, the track was also completely resurfaced. The goal of these changes was for better races, tighter battles, a lot of the, a lot of the same reasons we've seen the design changes on the car as well. Well, yeah, I mean, if it's anything like the season we've seen so far, we should be in store for another great race. Do you want to give us any predictions for who's going to win? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I'll be super controversial here, but I think uh, it's going to be a battle between Leclerc and Verstappen again and I gotta go wow. with with my Dutch with my Dutch driver there for stopping winning out. Pretty base, basic answer. Um, I'm gonna go with Carlos Sainz, maybe a little more out of the blue, but I don't know. I just I kind of have faith he's gonna start beating Leclerc. He's a he's a consistent driver, and and I expect to see him continuing to push those those other two. And hopefully, you know, maybe maybe Perez comes back. He had a strong pull That's this true. past week, and and I'd love. I'd love to see him at the front. I'd love to see him get a pole and, and win a race, too. Regardless, I'm I'm excited for this next week to go by quickly so we can get to the Australian Grand Prix. With that, I think we should wrap it up. Thank you, everyone, for joining us and listening to this podcast. We will be back with another episode in two weeks after the Australian GP. In the meantime, we would really love for you all to share your feedback on what you want to hear more of and how we can improve the podcast for all of you. Thank you. Goodbye.